Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. They're both critics of the Connecticut Port Authority and the state peer deal. We talk exclusively to Kevin Blacker and Steve Farrelly and hear their candid views about what they see as a bad deal for Connecticut and its taxpayers. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Ever since Governor Lamont's office announced a multi-million dollar deal to redevelop State Pier in New London as a future hub for the wind energy business, the project has gained criticism from private individuals, businesses, local municipalities and even local legislators over the spiralling costs for the project and questions about the quasi-public agency called the Connecticut Port Authority who have been tasked to get it done. Two of the main critics come from southeastern Connecticut – Kevin Blacker, who runs a local grass mowing business in Noank, and Steve Farrelly, the CEO of Driven Enterprises that once had a thriving salt business at State Pier until recently, when it was displaced to allow redevelopment of State Pier. Both men continue to fight their battles in private and publicly in the media spotlight, and I caught up with them for an update as to where they both stand. We should also state that Connecticut East this week did contact the Connecticut Port Authority via email asking them to be part of this joint interview to allow them to put their side to the story. But as yet, they have not replied to that request. We're going to get into obviously a lot of conversation with the pair of you. But Steve, I want to put the question to you first. There was a lot of press fairly recently about your salt business. You know, what is the latest on that? Well, you know, since uh, six months we've been removed from the port, you know, I have I have had to downsize my company. We, you know, we relieved uh, four full-time jobs and sold off a lot of equipment. And we, we were looking, you know, for another location to do salt. But without having, you know, a, a deep water port, there's no more importing and having the luxury of buying from any suppliers. So basically... You know, we're looking domestically, but, you know, it's been a hard chore to find a, a location where we could secure a long-term lease. But, you know, we're in the process of trying to put something together, but nothing definitive at this time. Kevin, nice to have you back as well on the podcast. Of course, known critic of the Connecticut Port Authority and obviously in particular the State Pier Project. What's the situation with you? Because there's a couple of things going on. One, of course, there was your personal court case, uh, which we'd like to so like, get an update on. But then also there's a situation more recently with regards to permits, which we want to talk to you about. But let's just uh, quickly touch on the personal situation with regards to obviously the signs which you quite a while ago and said yep I painted those signs I caused the damage and then of course there was a lot of kerfuffle about the price but what is the situation with regards to the court case because that's still sort of up in the air isn't it yep thank you very much for having me on the show and uh, with regards to the case where I uh, practiced civil disobedience and painted the signs at State Pier Pink 
I, I went to court and th- they made me an offer, which uh, I didn't feel was fair, and uh, I opted to take it to trial. So planning to use that court case, you know, to, to fight and, and continue to draw press attention to what's happening at State Pier, as I think I have effectively done uh, since painting the signs uh, last August. Just a quick question about that. I mean, obviously it's going to cost you, I mean, it's costed, cost you money, both of you, it's cost you a lot of money so far. I mean, Kevin, I mean, obviously it's, it's time as well. You run a business, but you've still seen fit to decide that you want to pursue this. Why is this particular, uh, and I'm talking obviously about the court case now, why has this one really got under your skin? I, I think that what's happening at State Pier and the Connecticut Port Authority goes against you know, American principles. It goes against my principles. I believe in sacrifice. Uh, you know, I believe that everything we have and enjoy is a result of previous people's sacrifice. And I'm, I'm making my sacrifice of, of time and money to fix something that I am certain is, is not right. And let's just move on to also this permitting issue as well. As we record this particular podcast with both of you, you continue to have email correspondence with the Army Corps of Engineers. They are sort of, I suppose, effectively the last sort of like permit, really, that the CPA need to get going. But that doesn't seem as if that's going to be happening anytime soon. Just this morning, I received word from Diane Ray at the Army Corps of Engineers that they do not anticipate issuing the permit by August 31st. August 31st is a deadline, significant deadline for the Port Authority because Eversource and Orsted Partners can take back their $52.5 million private investment if the permits weren't in hand by that date. Uh, The Port Authority has stated that additional cost overruns are highly likely if the permit is pushed back farther, which it is, you know, highly likely to be. And so I think that's that's really significant. It's another missed milestone, another delay, another, uh, you know, likelihood of, of increased costs. I think what's interesting about this, of course, as well, uh, apart from the points you've just made, is as we head towards winter as well, I'm, I'm guessing it's less chance to do any sort of significant work as well, because that's going to become a tougher issue and like you said the cost overrun I mean this project of course initially was pegged at 93 million dollars is now far exceeded 230 odd million dollars and we're seeing nothing at the moment by way of anything significant you know for what is going to be a huge outlay a lot of it of course coming from the the taxpayers of of Connecticut. Steve, I want to get back to you because you also are currently, well, you, you've filed some uh, legal paperwork as well. Again, it's connected with the state peer issue. What can you tell us a, a, about that? Well, we initially filed uh, for intervener status early on and we, we obtained that. And from there, we filed an objection, which was overruled. And then my attorney filed an exception, which was overruled. And then we had an oral argument, which was finally overruled, and we just recently, last Monday, filed an appeal uh, to that permit that was issued already uh, in Superior Court. This is the permit that was issued by DEEP, is that correct? Correct. So, of course, we now have to wait, obviously, for, you know, the usual legal mechanisms to to kick in. Those things can take a bit of time, and, of course, with COVID-19 still very much, you know, around, that does seem to be delaying things. What does that mean for you, though? I mean, how frustrating is it for you? Um, You've obviously talked already about the salt business and trying to find a new location, but, I mean, I'm guessing frustration is still very high for you. It's been very stressful and frustrating for both, you know, a company as a whole, my employees and my family. 
I'll be honest with you, recently we've had a hard time because moving into another location and trying to procure salt, I need bank financing. So I haven't, because of what's happened, directly the impact of the Port Authority's decision, you know, to make Gateway my landlord and then get flushed out of there, I'm having a hard time getting people to listen to my story. They all want to look at my last year tax return, which we lost a lot of money and understandably under the conditions, that's what happened. So we're having, you know, that tough time right now. So it's it's made a significant impact on my ability to move forward as a company. And prior to any of the stuff that was going on state pier, we were moving strong as a company. So now this is another hurdle that, you know, we have to overcome. You did get some support, if I recall. It wasn't major support, but you did get a little bit of support from some of the local legislators a while back and the municipalities who, of course, relied very much on Driven when it was at New London, you know, for the salt, for the roads. As we know, uh, winter inevitably, even, even if we don't have like, you know, a huge amount of snowfall, we still need that salt on the roads. Have you had any more sort of input at all from them or any more sort of like back up? Because the legislators seem to have been quite quiet on this just generally. I haven't heard anything from any legislator or any, you know, representatives of government. You know, I've the town people that I serviced reach, have reached out to me and asked me, you know, do I have a plan for this year? And I don't want to get them in a bad spot. So I just tell them there's nothing definitive. And if you need to move forward now, you need to do what's best for the town and the people of the town. Because I don't want to tarnish my reputation, you know, if I'm able to salvage the salt portion of my business moving forward. At least I was honest with them. So that's where we are with that situation. Yeah, and I think if I recall, you said in previous of like commentary as well on this that, you know, ultimately it could be more expensive for municipalities as well. Because, of course, they're going to be probably hauling that salt from a much further distance and, um, and no doubt at a much higher cost to them as well, isn't it? Which, of course, impacts you know, all the way down the line back to the ratepayers again. Absolutely. It's, it's, there's definitely going to be an increase. And the bigger burden is going to be the distribution problem because getting all that salt out of one location, and that's why we were so successful. We took that burden, you know, not intentionally, but to help the state people out, uh, having another location for distribution. But now that it's all going to go back to one, we're going to show that that was wrong. And if they come up with a, an alternative location, they're just doing that because there's probably going to be a squeeze on them that, hey, we can't get the product fast enough because that's why we were effective. We were 50 miles apart, and they had supposedly, you know, they could handle a 20 or 35, 40-mile radius, and we could do the same. And then whoever you wanted to do business with either company in the middle, that was the customer or the consumer's choice. And that's what it's all about. One of the other things I want to put to you as well is, um, you know, local fishermen down there have finally sort of been given uh, a new home in the, you know, the general surroundings of State Pier. Of course, it's very much, and we use these terms, which I know are very important terms, it's a water-dependent use business. You have argued on many occasions that your salt business was a water-use-dependent business as well. Has the state at any point, you know, through all of this, ever sort of really stepped up and helped you at all? I mean, it sounds as if the answer's probably no because of where you find yourself, obviously, with litigation. Yeah, there was never a real helping hand for my company. It was more any time that they were pressured out in the press that they would do, felt that they were, you know, needed to do something for me. But 
early on when Evan Matthews was the director, and I remember having a meeting in the job trailer that Gateway occupied at State Pier, he said, no matter what happens, it's our duty to help you out financially to find another location and to make sure that you rebound from this move. And that never happened. That never happened. It's sort of, I mean, how does it make you feel, obviously, about doing business or continuing to do business, obviously, in Connecticut? Because it seems that unless you're so like a large multinational with millions of dollars, you know, smaller businesses don't seem to be getting the help and assistance from the state that, you know, they should. Well, you know, going back to what I just told you, it's hard to get financing. You know, I was thinking, you know, maybe I should go to the DECD and say, hey, I'm the small company that was displaced. No one helped me out. Why can't you give me a low interest loan and, and get me back in the game? You know, that was one of my thought processes. And I'm thinking, you know, that would really put them on the hot seat to step up and do something that they said that we wanted to help you out. I think the problem with that is the way that the state operates that I understand is they serve their friends and special interests. The the, the grants, the ports, the contracts are all divvied out that that to to, to their friends and their and their the, the politically connected. I, I think that you would absolutely deserve and and uh, uh, you know help from the state, but I don't think you'll get it because. I really, really believe that the government in Connecticut and in the country is about just serving, you know, friends of of the of those in political power, and and that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that you serve the public, you do what's best, and that's that's not what what's happening. The other thing I want to put to both of you as well is, of course, um, again, it's been well highlighted basically uh, in the press because of, of people like uh, yourselves. Obviously, the whole project and, and the Connecticut Port Authority situation and state here. But also, we continue to hear that, you know, the agency is being investigated by the state's attorney's office. It's being investigated by, you know, other agencies. Possibly the state contracting board it will be investigating it further. What does that all say to you when you keep hearing all of this, that these other agencies are looking into, you know, this one particular agency? And, and the reason being is ultimately because of this project. Well, I'd, I'd say, you know, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to know when there's smoke everywhere. There, there, there's a fire somewhere. The attorney general has been investigating for over two years. I don't think that it's a mistake at how slowly he's moving because I, I believe that he is politically motivated to not move too quickly until the deal is done. The Office of uh, you, you know, pub, Public Auditors is investigating the FBI you know, ha- have contacted both Steve and I separately, as has a trial attorney from the Department of Justice a- Antitrust Division. Now, the State Contracting Standards Board began an investigation, was shut off. The legislature saw that as a problem, gave them funding t- to get a lawyer and, and the staff to actually do and, and then gave them the lawful right to look into the Port Authority, which didn't previously exist. It was about $400,000, and Lamont struck it out. He, he singled that out. Now, why? And the, the simple explanation, the logical explanation to me is, is that there's something that he doesn't want found, and that's how I understand it. 
I'm just going to add into this just for a bit of balance, and I'm not um, uh, I'm not saying that uh, your comments are invalid. They certainly are, are valid, of course. But part of the conversational part of the commentary that came out of the the office of the the governor about that particular issue you've just mentioned is that they felt that there were other agencies in the state already that could look into it. So therefore, they didn't feel that funding was necessary for you know the state contracting board. You know there was there was the office of um, policy management. And they felt that there were other ways that, you know, that could be investigated without having to put the money there. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? You need independent oversight. DAS, Department of Administrative Services, OPM, Office of Policy and Management, cannot oversee itself. There needs to be independent oversight. That is just fact and and, and principle you know, good judgment. The Contracting Standards Board is an all-volunteer organization with a lot of integrity, and they're independent, and you have to have independent review. It's it's just simple. You, you, it's just, to, to me, that, that is just common common sense. Yeah, that board was put together after the rolling scandal, and to, you know, bring transparency to any of these bid processes or any of these projects that, you know, the quasis or any other agency, state agency, wants to put together. So you would think they would let them do their job, but like Kevin says, because they want their side and their experts always to have the final say, and, you know, it goes nowhere. Here's a bit of a $64 million question to the pair of you. How much pressure do you think they're going to step up over the remainder of this year and possibly next year? Because, of course, next year is an election year. The governor is up for re-election next year in 2022, along with, obviously, other legislators as well. Do you think that the pressure might start to ramp up a little bit as they try and possibly push this through to make sure that it is pushed through? Because, obviously, then that will look good for re-election for them. Yes, I think the pressure will ramp up. I think that the pressure is higher than anybody understands because of the involvement of Scott Bates and his former co-worker and friend, Jane Harmon, whose son got the Port of New London. Jane Harmon and Scott Bates were, were major national security leaders, given what's occurring in Afghanistan, given the involvement of so many major political players, Toby Moffat and others, I think there's incredible pressure to have this deal not fail, because if it fails, they're going to do an autopsy. And when the autopsy is done, that, that's why I'm continuing to fight. I, I have so much faith that when the truth comes out, it, it's going to be clear who, who was right and, and who was wrong. And then people will understand you know, why people like me and Steve have fought over this for two and a half years. We should just add as well that Scott Bates' involvement in this, of course, he was the original chair of the Connecticut Port Authority before he stepped down as well, just so that for listeners wondering what Scott Bates' connection is, you know, obviously to this story, we're just making that clarification point uh, as well there. Let me put this to, to both of you as well. How much is this taking up of your time on a daily basis? I mean, you must be eating and sleeping. Well, men- mentally, it, it never goes away. It consumes me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because it's my family, it's my company, it's my customers that rely on me. And I am, as a business owner, a problem solver. Like, I, use, I can come up with solutions and fix anybody's problem. But at the end of the day, I'm dealing with a bunch of cheaters, you know. But I do know 
you know, cheaters never win and winners never cheat. So at the end of the day, I think, like Kevin says, with our faith and our persistence that, you know, it's all going to come to a head and we're going to find out how wrong this was. For me, it, it takes up a significant, uh, you know, it takes up a significant amount of time. I mow lawns for a living. I have a lot of time to, you know, to, to think while I'm, you know, walking a, walking a lawnmower. I don't have as much pressure on me as Steve in that it's not like my business and my livelihood is being destroyed, but I have gambled uh, what I consider, you know, my, my greatest asset, my, my name and my reputation. I have a lot of people, you know, that, that see the things I've done and, and think less of me and, and judge me, you know, for, 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 for things that I've done. And that's dr- driving me, you know, to succeed. Like I, I, I believe in, in, in myself and in my name and, and, and that I'm right. And to me, you know, it, t- it takes up a lot of time, but t- doing anything right or anything good takes takes a lot of time and yeah, hard I was gonna, work. Yeah, I was going to say to both of you, I mean, what sort of reactions have you had from people? Because you're going to have the people who support you, but you're also going to have the people who are going to say, you know, Steve, Kevin, why don't you just leave it alone? A lot of people, you know, I mean, I think people, everybody could understand why Steve would be fighting, but a lot of people don't understand, you know, why, why I'm fighting. That's been one of the hardest things is to accept that people... A lot of people, you know, that I care a lot about, that, that I care what they think of me, that they think less of me, that they think out in, out in left field or, or you know, uh, doing something that that doesn't make sense. But but I know that what I'm doing is right, and I know that we're going to succeed. The other final point I want to put to both of you, and thank you both again for your time today on the on the interview. For any of the legislators, our local legislators here in Eastern and Southeastern Connecticut who may be listening to this, what comments have you got to make to them? Because like we said, some of them have made some comments in the past and asked some questions. But like I said, it doesn't appear as if they've done a huge amount really on this particular issue. I know there have been public hearings, and I'm sure they'll argue, well, you know, where we had those public hearings. But they didn't really seem to amount to much. So have you got any sort of like comments that you'd like to put directly to the legislators about what you would like to see them do? I think personally the, the legislators that wanted to do something, that there's got to be legislators that know this common sense, this, this deal is wrong. It was done wrong. It wasn't structured to be fair, especially to my business, you know, and to anybody else in the future that wanted to use the port. Kevin, with his rock business, but at the end of the day, that's the business they're in. And, and if you're in that business, you got to put your work clothes on every morning and go do your job. You can't just say stuff to pacify people. You have to do something with conviction and get it done. But I feel that politicians, they all belong to a club. And I think that internally, they don't want to do anything today, whether it's right and they know it's right, that might harm their future five years down the road. And that's what's sad, because they don't put their work clothes on every day and have the interest of the public that they sworn that they would have when they took the job. And that's what's sad. And I, I, I find it hard to believe that one person, that this isn't boiling or, or you know, they're emotionally disturbing them like it's Kevin and I, and can really do something. I've heard so many people say to me, there's nothing I can do. Well, it would be easy for me to say to my wife, I go home, hey, hun, there's nothing I can do. To my workers, my employees, there's nothing I can do. 
I can do everything and anything I want every day. You just got to put your mind to it, set out what your goals are, and accomplish that. Everybody has the capability of whether it's living their dream or setting a goal and obtaining it. Anybody that says they can't do that, to me, they have no purpose in life. I'd like to add to that by, by just saying to, to the legislatures to, to stop lying to themselves, that, to, to stop lying to themselves that there's nothing that they can do. Uh, in, with, with absolutely no power, with no position of power, I have accomplished a, a tremendous amount. Steve has accomplished a tremendous amount from, from a terrible, you know, from, from fighting on his back. They have all the power to fix this and, and to stop it, and, and they know it's wrong. So I would just say stop stalling and, and, and help us already. Gavin Blacker and Steve Farrelly, we will, of course, continue to follow this story because it's going to be ongoing for a while. But uh, as always, Kevin, thank you for joining us. Steve, also thank you for joining us on Connecticut East this week. Thank you, thank you very much. And since recording this interview, the Army Corps of Engineers has confirmed in an email that they do not expect to make a decision on the state peer permit for the Connecticut Port Authority until the end of September, as they are waiting on other coordination processes to be completed. Green Valley Tree LLC is proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week. Contact Green Valley Tree LLC for all your tree removal and plant health care needs and more. Find us at GreenValleyTreeWorks.com or call 860-234-4041. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. Women in eastern Connecticut have a more convenient way to get a breast mammogram done thanks to a mobile mammography and imaging van. Jacqueline Crenshaw is the senior manager for Yale New Haven Health's off-site breast imaging department and says they've been supplying the mobile service for many years. Well, we're excited because we were the first in the country to have 3D, which is the latest technology for mammography, and we also have breast ultrasound, which is another tool in the toolbox for women that have dense breasts. Caritha Thomas is a radiology technician and says people like the convenience of the mobile mammography van because it comes to them. We have so many patients now that they'd rather come here than to actually go to the hospital. That might not be such a good thing, but it is better. One way in and then you out, so they like that. Thomas says the improved technology allows for higher definition scans and better test results and following the American Cancer Society's guidelines recommend women start getting mammograms as young as 40. The mobile unit is available at medical centres and able to come to work locations across the region. Appointments are required and details can be found at ynhhs.org forward slash mammogram. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, according to data released by the state's Department of Education, primary and secondary students studying remotely and in hybrid models last year lagged significantly in standardized test scores measuring achievement in math and English compared to students who learned in a classroom setting. Data drawn from Smarter Balanced Assessments, Connecticut's standardized test for students in grades 3 to 8, showed that remote learners in Connecticut at these grade levels showed a 15.6% decrease in English proficiency and a 25.7% decrease in math proficiency last year compared to their peers in 2018-2019. In the day this week, legal sports wagering and online casino gambling in Connecticut drew ever closer with a state legislative panel's approval of the emergency regulation of new forms of gambling authorized in the spring. 
Near the end of a recent virtual meeting, the Legislative Review Committee voted 9-4 to in favour of regulations written by the State Department of Consumer Protection and scrutinised by Governor Lamont's office, the Mashantucket Pequot and Mohegan tribes and the Connecticut Lottery Corporation and state agencies. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, union leaders representing City of Norwich police officers and firefighters decried city officials at a recent meeting over a failure to provide compensation for sick and personal time used as a result of inadequate department policies on COVID-related absences from work. The public testimony from the two on-duty and uniformed first responders came during an informational workshop held at the City Works to allocate almost $31 million in expected emergency funding under the federal government's American Rescue Plan. In the Middletown Press this week, the state will launch a two-year $58.2 million project next spring to overhaul the 108-year-old East Haddam Swing Bridge, which carries Route 82 over the Connecticut River, connecting the town centre to neighbouring Haddam. Construction is estimated to take approximately two and a half years from spring 2022 through to fall 2024. The State Department of Transportation initiative is intended to improve safety and access, as well as operations for vehicles, pedestrians and bicyclists travelling on Route 82. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at connecticut-east.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East This Week, where you can also listen to the show again on demand. And please like, follow and share on your social media platforms too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.